Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. How can you make sure people feel comfortable telling you anything? Hello, everyone. Kevin Cruz here. And in just a minute, we're going to talk about how the best leaders cultivate a culture of candor. But first, congratulations on being the CEO of your future. You're being proactive. Content people seek entertainment. Ambitious people seek education. And ambition, I know it has a negative connotation for some. For me, ambition, it just means you want to become more so you can make a greater impact. Will you tell your friends the LeadX show is the smartest way to start your day? And free for you, don't forget to download our ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership at leadx.org forward slash Branson. Today's quick career tip is be vulnerable. Share your low points, your pain points, your weaknesses. The faster you share your most troubling times, your failures, quote unquote, the faster you'll build trust the sooner people will reciprocate that back. They're going to view you as a friend. Why? Because usually we only tell our friends the low points of our lives or our, our family members. So it's not unusual when people meet me or hear me online, they say they find out very quickly, I'm divorced. My first two companies went out of business. I'm a single dad struggling to, to keep after three teenagers. Uh, I like to exercise a lot and I don't. So I'm often talking about all the ways I can get better. You will feel more connected when you reveal your true self and they will feel more connected and more trusting of you. Be vulnerable. Now, our guest today is a managing partner at Blue Rudder, a top-rated professor, and a former innovation consultant. His new book is Permission to Speak Freely, How the Best Leaders Cultivate a Culture of Candor. Our guest is Matt Kincaid. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to be here. Excited to talk about the book, and we're going to get to Permission to Speak Freely in just a minute. But I always start with the same first question, which is, share with us a time in your career when you actually failed, because we want to know what you learned from it so we can learn along with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I could I could probably tell you two or three dozen times, <laughs> but I, uh, and I liked your intro there about building trust and being vulnerable. Even just with that, like you shared, builds trust. I felt in that moment like, oh, I kind of trust this guy a little bit more since we've never met in person. Oh, that's cool. So we have some of that in the book as well, some similar type ideas. But yeah, to failure. So I share this story in the book and really I go all the way back to when I was in college and I had started this house painting company. I was just kind of tired of working the typical summer job where you make 2,500 bucks and then you, you know, blow it on books the first semester. So I decided I was going to start this house painting company and I hired nine college students to work for me. And, and one of the guys I hired to be in charge of a crew was a friend of mine named Seth. And so I'll kind of cut the story short, but we fast forward through the summer. We're busy. We're painting a lot of houses. I'm not sleeping a lot. I'm just trying to kind of keep the crews busy. And that's that. We go on and, it, and we finish the summer and it does well. And I made more money than I would have otherwise. And I felt pretty good and pretty successful. And I felt like I had led pretty well. And and that's kind of it. And then I fast forward about five or six years. The same guy, Seth, who I mentioned was uh, he and I were playing in a basketball game together, just kind of a summer league game. And he comes up to me afterwards and he says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? 
And I said, sure, you know, we're, we're like 25 and I thought he was having girlfriend trouble or something. And, and he's a little bit of a quiet guy. So I figured this was something important. And he looks at me and he, he fumbles a little bit and he says, Hey, I, I've been thinking about this for years. And I was thinking, Oh boy, what's this, you know? And he said, you know, when we had that, when we were painting houses that summer, you had promised a lady on her house that we were going to use a particular type of primer on her foundation to kill the moss. Uh, and we never did that. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> and I was, I kind of looked mm. at him and I was just a deer in headlights. You know, I was like, truthfully, I, I just forgot. I mean, I totally had just failed uh, on that front. But so, so it sort of troubled me at the time. And if I, if I then fast forward later, I, I thought about that conversation a lot. And I don't know that I learned anything in that moment of failure where I just was sort of faced with, with this idea that, you know, you promised a customer something that you didn't do. And I know that may sound trivial, college kids painting uh, houses and stuff. But this was a, a widowed lady. She was older. She uh, lived kind of out in the country. It was a big house. And it, I think she probably paid us four or five grand to do the job. So it was a, it was a significant thing in my life and in her life. And and so if I fast forward, the learning that came from that really was probably, gosh, another seven or eight years of just thinking about that. And that, that sort of helped propel the idea of the book was, so I had failed the customer clearly, but I had also failed Seth. And where I had really failed was he, for whatever reason, whatever I was doing in that leadership role at that time as a 20-year-old kid who's, who thinks he's doing a good job, whatever I was doing, I was hindering him from speaking up because he told me he knew in the moment we weren't doing what we were supposed to do, but he just didn't speak up because I was the leader and he didn't want to question me and, and this kind of stuff. So not only was, was this, uh, a, a guy in charge of one of my crews who I had trusted with the idea of doing the right thing, but he was a good friend of mine. And yet he still didn't feel like he could come to me and say, and real simple, right? Just say, Hey, we forgot to use the primer. I mean, it would have taken just a moment and we could have right. fixed it right there, you know? And so, so for me, that sort of, started building this idea of, okay, how do we get past that? Because if one of my good friends is doing it for me and we're college kids, what's happening in organizations where you don't really know the boss, you know, and talk about speaking truth to power, it's pretty hard. And so anyway, that, that was a really big lesson learned. It took probably a decade till I really figured it out. But so that's, that's one failure that comes to mind when you ask the question. Matt, now, okay, so this isn't a trivial story at all. And in fact, you're right. I read this story in the book. I had no idea you would open with it. Uh, and listeners, like, this is a damn good failure story. First of all, um, it's just proving the point we open with, right? Like being vulnerable. And now, you know, Matt, you don't know this, but like the listeners know, I get, I ask that same first question and I get some really interesting stuff, but I also get a lot of stuff like, oh, I woke up one day and knocked over a glass of lemonade. Like, you know, not, people aren't really giving me anything, you know, real that you're, you're, at, you're talking about a time when an old lady didn't get what she bought, you know, right. And you're a young man and new in business and didn't even realize, but you're sharing like that. You did it. You did that. And then like the double whammy that for some reason, Seth, and now I would say, okay, there's got to be a partnership and communication maybe because like, why couldn't Seth have just spoke up? He's got to own that a little bit, you know, himself. Um, but for some reason he didn't feel comfortable and and you're taking that on, uh, on, on yourself. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's amazing. Great, great story. And, mm. and let's, let's dive into it. So I want to start though with, with the basics, you know, your book again is permission to speak freely, how the best leaders cultivate a culture of candor. So why is candor so important in the workplace? Yeah, it's a super question. And it's one we, we really dove into for about three years researching this book and really put, put in simplest terms, candor is important because as leaders, we need all the help we can get. 
research shows as we climb higher into organizations and take on higher leadership roles that actually people are less honest with us, less direct with us. Uh, we just don't get the candid things we need. And so, you know, we've got uh, all kinds of research that shows people are hesitant to ask questions. They're hesitant to share their uncertainties. They're hesitant to offer up their own ideas. And they're really, really hesitant to almost to a level where they never do it to provide their leaders with honest feedback. Mm. So the higher you go in an organization, the more people tell you what they think you want to hear. Uh, and then you couple that with other research that says, but if we can overcome that, uh, if we can actually have candid communication in our organizations, we know that things get better. So from a company perspective, innovation goes up, ownership increases, we get a much higher uh, level of engagement with people. Uh, research shows only about 30% of people are engaged with their job. I mean, it's a pretty sad statistic, right? I mean, right. only one in three people are actually fired up to go to work. And so, and we also know that just overall performance increases. And so we, we start to see you know, solutions we couldn't see before when people actually can just speak freely and tell us what's on their mind and ask us their questions and say, Hey boss, uh, I didn't like, I didn't like that approach. Or have you thought about this? I mean, how often do you go to your boss and say, Hey, I have this idea. Have you thought about this? It sounds super simple, but nobody does it because of course they've thought about it. They're the boss, or I'm afraid of saying that for a variety of reasons, which we get into in the book as well. Well, and that, that tees up the next question because at a certain level, even, you know, uh, I've done some some writing and teaching on communication. When I think about let's create a, a culture of candor, I think I've been setting the bar too low, which is like, okay, do people, you know, can they come to me with an idea? Can they come to me with a problem and you know, not really worry about repercussions of if they disagree? And, and look, we all have, be- we, we all can do more even in that area, but you kind of like raise the bar further because it, it's in your chapter three, you say, you know, the permission to speak freely, you want your people to feel that they can say anything, bring up anything without worrying about the right words. And that's something that I've struggled with as I think about having to, I don't know, give bad news to somebody or say really tough, tough things. I struggle like, what is the right way to say? Or I didn't say it right. And I beat myself up for years because I flubbed it. And you're saying we can actually create that environment where people won't hesitate. They know it's going to come out wrong, right? T- tell me more about that. Yeah. So, well, first off, uh, you've written best-selling books. So I don't want this, you know, you're saying you struggle. I don't want this to come off as I'm one-upping. I think it's just a different perspective. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're saying this idea of the right words. Uh, we're arguing that things would be a lot easier and a lot better if there was no such idea as saying things the right way, because what that requires people to do is then run their true thoughts, their, their authentic feelings and thoughts through kind of a filter, or we call it verbal Photoshop or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but they have to run it through that to say things in your, your own safe language. And so we're just saying if people could speak freely the way they know how to speak instead of translate it into your own safe language as a leader, uh, they could be heard more and we would hear them more. So we're, we're sort of shifting the responsibility a little bit from all the people in the world trying to say things the right way to the leader saying, Hey, there is no right way. Just tell me your thoughts. And I'm going to, I'm going to receive that well. And so instead of sending, you know, 400 nurses to training to teach them how to speak, you know, speak the right way to the doctor in the OR, let's work with like the 12 doctors and say, Hey, there's no right, (laughs) there's no right way anymore. Right. And so it's a little bit, it's a little bit counterintuitive. We're, we're flipping the idea of that sort of articulating things correctly on its head. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there's a bunch of really good books and I've read them all and I love them and they're, they're sort of aimed at how do we get people to say things the right way. So we're, we're trying to just flip that on its head and say, hey, we're putting the entire 
you know, the onus of responsibility on the leader's shoulders to create a culture in an environment where there is no right way, where you just tell me what you're thinking, however you say it, whatever's your way of communicating. So let me, okay, I'm going to throw you a curveball, Matt. Yeah. And um, this is just a little bit tangential, but I'm curious what you think about this. What about this idea of should the boss have to worry about you know, verbal Photoshop and maybe, and maybe yes, because we're in that higher position. And, and in particular, you know, I think about a friend of mine who's a successful executive coach. And back in the day, he was telling me, Kevin, if you know, you've got a team member, you need to coach them. Here's how you do it. And the first step is you say, um, Matt, would you like to get better? And then Matt says, yes. And then I say, okay, right. do I have permission to give you some candid feedback? And then Matt says, yes. And now that Matt has actually asked for the feedback. I can give the feedback worded a certain way. And that always felt weird to me. Like, first of all, what is Matt going to say? No, I don't want to get better. No, I don't want feedback from my boss. Even if you don't want it, you wouldn't say so it felt false. But you read this everywhere. Like there's a certain way you like a three step process and you all this stuff. So should the bosses be a little more accountable for getting the words just right? Or do you think it's getting in the way of coaching people, honestly? Yeah, I, I think it's a tough question. I, I think there's uh, there's definitely value there. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of research and things that go into how do we communicate with people. So I'm not I'm not undermining any of that. I think there's sort of two pieces. I think that if we can build successful cultures of candor, that starts to go away. But coupled with that, I don't think for the the actual leader, it's ever completely gone. And the difference, though, is it's it's really difficult to speak truth to power. Mm. So if I'm the if I'm the employee, it's really hard for me to go to the boss because I'm I'm really like you mentioned earlier, but I'm really vulnerable, right? I'm afraid of being judged. I don't want them to think I'm stupid. I mean, we have all kinds of narratives we tell ourselves when we're thinking about our next conversation with our boss, right? And so the boss is less threatened, there's no power struggle, there's no I'm going to say something to my employee and they're going to fire me. So it's a very different dynamic. Yeah. And that's why we're shifting that responsibility. So so in a sense, what we've done for a long time is we write all these books telling employees how to speak to the boss, but they're already faced with the tougher job. Right. You know, they're insecure about a number of different things, most likely. And and so we're saying, hey, the boss should take that on. And yes, they do need to be uh, you know, careful how they speak and they do need to consider the way they're communicating and all that stuff. That's all relevant. We're just saying the boss, the leader, whoever that is. That should be on their shoulders. Yeah, and it makes sense. And if you're the boss communicating for a you know poor choice of words, but down classic org chart. Yeah. Um, you're right. There is no there is no risk. I mean, there's there's whoever's signing your paycheck. All of a sudden, there's you know even in an open environment, blah blah. Someone's signing your paycheck, and there's always a power dynamic and a, a risk at play. If you're the boss, you're you're not really worrying about that. And and so this, it does, it is a different situation. That's interesting. So, and, and you talk about, you know, the goal of course is creating this culture where we have absolute candor and how do we, you know, cultivate that. And your book goes into, you, you know, we should assume positive intent and make sure it's safe environment, dignify every try, be genuinely curious. And we can't dive into all of these in the short format podcast, but pick out one or two key ideas that, that we can put to use. Yeah, so I think uh, this idea that you mentioned in the beginning about trust and choosing the right words, uh, One, a guy we know, he, he's an amazing leader, an amazing coach, and his name's Bruce Brown. He runs an outfit called Proactive Coaching. But he, we have a quote from him in the book that says, 
if someone doesn't trust you, it doesn't matter how well you measure your words. The other person will misinterpret you. Mm. If someone trusts you implicitly, it doesn't matter how poorly you phrase something. The other person will assume you meant well. So there's there's sort of this undergirding of trust that has to happen for all of this to work. And so that goes into what you opened with, you know, being vulnerable, building trust with your people. I'm never going to be candid with my boss if I don't trust my boss. And trust can mean a lot of things, but even in the sense that I don't trust their reaction to what I'm about to say, right? right. It, I might I might be able to give them my credit card and have them babysit my kids, that kind of trust. But I mean, there's there's a lot of different pieces of trust, right? And so, so the the idea is is we've got to build this trust. And so, to your question, um, let's just stick on this idea of, of positive intent. So, what we're arguing in the book is is the first step. And for for us, this is kind of what we call the center of gravity. Everything kind of hinges on this idea of of creating positive intent inside your organizations, uh, on your sports teams, inside your families. And the idea is whenever we're speaking with people, whenever somebody says something to us, we're, we're making a choice on how are we going to respond to this person. And, you know, Dr. Gottman at University of Washington would say, are you turning towards, are you turning against, or are you turning away? And, and what we're saying is we've got to just assume that everybody around us is telling things to us for the right reasons, which sounds a little crazy, uh, but when anybody comes up to you at work, you can and they say, "Hey, boss, why are we doing it this way?" Even if their tone doesn't sound super positive, we have a choice. I can assume they're asking me that to be condescending or question my plan, or I can assume they really want to know why we're doing it this way right. because they have twelve people on their team who want to, want to know the answer, and so. We're just saying, assume positive intent with everybody around you. And, you know, we get challenged. People say, well, what about, you know, someone that's going to pull one over on you, right? <laughs> right, and, right. And, and like at the university I teach at, well, what about people who are just skipping class? First of all, I don't care because I don't think my class is the most <laughs> important thing in the world. But, but we're arguing it's the benefits of everybody starting to uh, kind of a, embody this idea of the people around them doing things for the right reasons, the benefits of that are exponentially greater than a couple, one or two people pulling one over on you once in a while, right? And that's on them anyway. That shouldn't concern you. And so the idea of positive intent, we dig into it for a whole chapter, but it sounds super simple, but it's really, really hard. And uh, it's really hard to just assume when people come up to you and ask you questions or give you feedback that they're doing it for the right reasons, for good reasons. But we're arguing that's the first step. And that's the foundation of this whole thing. Just assume positive intent. Somebody says, you know, there's not enough time to finish this project. You can assume they procrastinated or maybe there actually isn't enough time. And so you can address that whichever way you choose in that moment. It's great advice. It, it actually reminds me, I'm going to get the wording wrong, but someone was <laughs> giving me marriage advice once. And he says, you know, he says in the, in the tough times, just imagine the most generous explanation for your spouse's behavior and then believe it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and the, where, the way this sort of plays out is, so there's a psychology theory called the Pygmalion effect, which basically is essentially saying you get what you expect. So what the research shows is your belief in others can have a causal impact on their behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not an ESP thing. It's nothing like that. But you know, if you if you look at sort of facial expressions and study tones and languages and reactions and body language and all that stuff, we know when we're responding to people, they're hearing way more than just our words. And so, if we're training our brain to respond to them in a positive light, uh, you know, assume positive intent, they're going to pick up on all that, and pretty soon their response to us becomes different. And all of a sudden, we start building this idea of, of positive intent throughout the organization. 
Well, and, and I, and you know, now, now they're riffing on it. I mean, I imagine what could play into it if you don't have positive intent, again, whether it's at work or in your family life or whatever, you, know, you, you can run into problems with, you know, confirmation bias. You know, if I think my teenage son is, is messy and I have that belief, I'm going to notice every time he doesn't clean up after himself, leaves the sneakers on the floors and there are plenty. And I might not notice the time he actually takes the garbage out or <laughs> cleans up his room or other things. So I, I agree. Like positive intent is the way to live. So Matt, before we wrap up, I always ask our listeners, I say, Hey, become a little bit better every single day. So I want you to challenge us. What's one specific thing we can do today to begin to foster this culture of candor? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, to just stay on the same thing, this idea of positive intent. So I would say as a listener, try it. Try for one day to assume positive intent with every single person you have a conversation with. So the shy person who, you know, rarely speaks up, the highly extroverted person who it feels like is kind of questioning you often, your boss, your secretary. Hey, I mean, if you really want to, if you really want to take it all the way, do it at home. Uh, assume positive intent, like you just mentioned with your spouse, with your kids. Uh, so that, that looks a certain way, right? They come up to you and say, Hey, I think we should go do this. And instead of saying, no, I don't think we should. You, you say, Hey, tell me more. Why do you think that? That sounds like, that sounds like a good idea. Just assume they're telling you whatever they're telling you. Let's go to dinner at my mom's house. Uh, and then deep down, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> don't tell them, hey, that sounds great. That sounds, what made you want to do that? You know, just receive their message in a bright light and just try it for one day and then try it the next day, especially with your, you know, your spouse and your kids. It's, it really can change the, just the feel of your life all around you. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. We've challenged people with this and we've had people write us letters. You know, I, I don't know if I'm doing better at work, but man, I'm a way better little league coach or I feel like, my relationship is way better with my significant other. And uh, wow, I got the promotion I wanted because my boss said they noticed a change in me. We've heard from a lot of people. It's really good. And we're not, I'm not taking credit for it. I just think it's cool when people actually do the hard work and make it happen. Um, so, and I would argue that you'd, I think it would probably help you more than 1%, honestly. I think it's, uh, but it's a shift, right? And it takes practice and you got to do it over again. You got to do it tomorrow and then you got to do it for two weeks and three months and you'll go up and down. It's not going to be perfect every day, but after a, after a little while, it will start to feel natural and you'll notice you'll notice some differences in your lives, I think. I love that challenge. Listeners, 24 hours of assume positive intent. And listeners, I'm going to up the uh, up the stakes here. If you do this exercise, send me an email directly, kevin at leadx.org. If I read from your email on the uh, the weekly wrap-up show, I'll send you a free T-shirt. And you really give me a good story. I'm going to invite you on the show. So uh, we'll uh, we'll spice it up a little bit. So, Matt, I want to thank you for coming on the LeadX show. Uh, please tell our listeners, how can they find out more about you and your work? Yeah, probably the easiest way is just to go to dougandmatt.com, just how it sounds, D-O-U-G-A-N-D-M-A-T-T.com. That's our website. Uh, it'll it'll reroute you to Blue Rudder, which is our company, but that's the simplest uh, URL. So, Boy, that's a friendly URL. That's awesome. Yeah, not bad, huh? <laughs> That's really good. All right, friends, you've just been mentored by Dr. Matt Kincaid. Don't forget, you can get links and notes from this interview over at leadx.org. And you can get Matt's book from amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. And that's it for today's episode of the LeadX Show. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and review. It only is going to take you about one minute, but it's the single best way to build the LeadX tribe. Until next time, remember, leadership is not a choice because leadership is influence. And you're influencing with your words and your silence. You're influencing with your actions 
and when you choose to be a bystander. We are all leaders. Lead with intent. 